0: BITCH BOYS, BITCH BOYS BITCH BOYS, BITCH BOYS BITCH BOYS, BITCH BOYS BITCH BOYS, BITCH BOYS oh, honey, that's right, we did the binging, now we'll do the talking. Welcome to Binge Boys. I'm Hal Rudnick, and sitting across from me on the computer screen, Lon Harris. Lon, what? That
1: would have worked better if the name of the show was Binge Talk. You'd be like, we did the binging, now we do the talking. Because otherwise, it's like, oh. It would be, we do the binging, now we do the boysing, but that's like, oh no, I don't, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't- I mean. We're not binging on boys, we're binging and we are boys. But there's if nothing very wrong key with that. If you are
0: out there binging on boys, I mean, no, men. No, stop. That's no, what I'm not, saying. That's wrong. Not, oh yeah, I'm doing do that. Here.
1: Do not do that.
0: Not literally, like, you know.
1: If you take one message away from today's show, folks, it's leave boys alone. They don't want to <laughs> mess around with, they don't want anything to do with you.
0: Listen, if you're a cannibal and you want to binge on males. Yeah, don't. Do, yeah, but. Also, how are you, like, you're a cannibal who's into podcasts? Lon, can we start the show over?
1: (laughs) There's nothing inherently about being a cannibal that would mean you're not into podcasts. The cannibal thing is very extreme. Lots of people like podcasts. That's not that out there.
0: Sure, sure. I was thinking more of, like, a cannibal.
1: I'd be like, oh, a cannibal who wears shirts. It's like, well, once you're accepting the cannibal part, the shirt part is easy.
0: I mean, yeah, maybe you can be, like, a, like a high-functioning cannibal, like a cannibal who's, like, fully immersed in, like, regular society.
1: I'm assuming if there are, in fact, practicing cannibals out there mm-hmm. in an ongoing way, otherwise they probably are functioning members of society.
0: You know what? Yeah.
1: Listen, if you got a commute, you're going to listen to a podcast whether or not you like to dine on the delicacy that is human flesh
0: let's do a call out if you're listening and you're a cannibal hit us up we on. we want to hear from you what we are you want to hear from you what's your cannibal lifestyle how do you go about procuring the meats top advertisers on the cannibal podcast what do you
1: what do you think
0: oh top advertisers i mean
1: red apron
0: red, oh that's good that's see what i did
1: there do you folks do you see what i did there Yes, Everybody. yeah,
0: you flipped it, you flipped it. Because it's up. blood,
1: it's covered in gore and yeah. viscera because you're a cannibal.
0: Yeah, this ain't your okay. neighbor's blue apron, pal. Yeah. My mind went to like Old Bay seasoning or Worcestershire Shosh, uh, or it's like something that you would flavor your right. meat with.
1: Yeah, And we all eat, that's not particular, it's just what they're eating. True, but
0: like, is there uh, a Old
1: Bay seasoning could advertise on this podcast? This is true, and we would love them too. Please, I'm a big seafood guy. Hello, I wonder how cannibals prepare their
0: meats. Like, do they do they like deep fry? Do they you know sauté, broil? Broast,
1: bro's Yeah, I think you broast long pig. That's how you prepare. Oh, boy. <laughs> Lon. What, a, what a start we've gotten.
0: Yes. You know what? Might as well jump into the news. Da, 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 da. It's the news with Lon
1: Harris. No cannibalism, thank goodness, in today's news. We got to talk about this big story. Scarlett Johansson, Black Widow herself, is suing Disney for breach yep. of contract. She's saying that because her compensation for the film Black Widow It's tied partly to the box office.
0: Oh, did she have those uh, sweet points on the back end? That's
1: just more like she's got a compensation package that's tied to the the theatrical gross. And Mm -hmm. she's arguing, much as we heard movie theater exhibitors arguing just a few weeks ago, that because streaming cut into the theatrical gross, she's sort of arguing, well, she should get a chunk of the streaming revenue, or she should just get a modified compensation package that pays her... Because Disney released the movie online on the same day that it did in theaters.
0: I have to agree with her on that. It seems like they adjusted their uh, modus operandi and they should revisit the contract. But is the contract just ironclad? Was there no force majeure or anything? So that's a toughie then.
1: A lot of this is going to come down to her contract says her compensation is contingent on a wide theatrical release. And so this may, in fact, come down to the definition of a wide theatrical release, like because it was on a certain thousand number of screens, that's sort of what Disney's saying. It's like, well, we did give it a wide theatrical release. But what ScarJo's team is going to argue is, yes, but also putting it on Disney Plus cut into the wideness of the theatrical release. Right. It probably is going to come down in some way to terminology. It's interesting to note, Disney came out with a, a rather non not a very diplomatic statement where they their their spokesman sort of very much dismissed the merits of the case and sort of implied that that Scarlett Johansson was taking advantage of the COVID pandemic, and a lot of people saw that as a little duplicity coming from Disney, yeah. the company that's been like let us open our theme parks to all of these sick people. Right. They're now poo pooing ScarJo like how dare you want to make money while people are getting sick. You yeah, monster. it's not like
0: ScarJo and and uh, Colin Jost are applying for PPE loans. <laughs>
1: If you're Colin Jones, you got to be looking at Michael Che's Instagram. Like we are days away from cancellation. Oh, yes. Like uh, we could be yeah. out of here at any time. I gotta be thinking about my next phase.
0: Yeah. Ooh. Uh, yeah. Hey. Hey, Michael Che. Uh, uh, ease up on the victim shaming, buddy.
1: Another wrinkle to this story. Yeah. It, it may not start and end with Scarlett Johansson. Emma Stone already has come out and said she's now thinking about a similar action because of Cruella. Oh. Disney did the same thing to her with Cruella, where right. she had a contract where she got X amount based on how much it earned, and then they released it on the same day on Disney+. Plus. Oh, I was just going to say, if I was Disney's lawyer
0: and uh, Emma Stone took me to court over that, um, I would introduce, uh, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I would like you to take a look at Exhibit A, which stands for ALOHA. I rest my case. She
1: played an Asian person.
0: Yep. Case dismissed.
1: There you go. Uh, Mark Wahlberg, Antoine Fuqua, remember Infinite, their film came out on Paramount Plus. They were none too pleased. John Chu had complained publicly about In the Heights, dropping on HBO Max. You and
0: I more or less concurred that uh, Infinite was a convoluted turd.
1: <laughs> I agree, but this was a sort of ripple effect in Hollywood. All of these studios started pushing all of this stuff out to these streaming platforms, but the talent that they're working with on these films, those people aren't tied in to benefit from the streaming platform's success or failure, so they're not incentivized to care. So it's a little bit, you know, they're going to have to figure this out. It's sort of surprising that they didn't figure it out before it came down to lawsuits, but I, you know. Yeah,
0: that seems very short-sighted. Maybe Disney can just, like, uh, take money back from David Harbour uh, and penalize them for having a terrible Russian accent
1: I feel like that was kind of the point like I feel like those actors are all accomplished enough that if the goal was sound authentically Russian they they could have approximated it I think they were going for a a bit of a campy bond. Russian accent. That's right. my that's my take on it. I think they wanted people in reviews to be like, this feels like a Bond film. And that's right. one of the ways to communicate that without just coming out and saying.
0: Zeno Onotope. Uh, d- yeah, it's not uh, Black Widow is not Dr. Zhivago.
1: Right. I don't think it was they were going necessarily for no pro, Or they could have, you know, hired a Russian person if they were really that dead set on authenticity
0: let me ask you this do you think actors like Florence Pugh or, or someone is uh, more hesitant because they want because like oh I don't want to rock the boat because I have a future with uh, the oh, MCU yeah. oh or, for sure also yeah. do you think she has uh, she probably doesn't have the same deal as Johansson. Well, she
1: definitely doesn't have the same deal for her first film as Scarlett Johansson does for her final she might not even
0: have points Lon, can you pull up uh, Florence Pugh's contract, please?
1: Yeah, I don't know. But I'm I'm sure she got some sort of, you know, very nice lucrative deal because she signed on for multiple, you know, she's also on Hawkeye. She's going to be in other stuff. Uh, So I'm sure it's a good deal. But no, of course you wouldn't rock the boat if you were just starting in these movies. You're going to make... Two or three more movies, you've got more chances to to you know score a big payday. There's always the chance you know you're the next Robert Downey Jr. and your great grandkids are set for life from this thing. There so, you go. Don't
0: bite the hand that yeah. Eats. Like
1: he didn't know when he was making Iron Man and Iron Man Two what this was going to become. So you know you're you're taking a gamble. But I think Scarlett Johansson she's looking back at the end of her Marvel career, being like, Hey, they screwed me on this one. I got to get mine, and it's an important precedent because this is apparently. this is now going to keep happening and these studios they own these movies they kind of have the right to shuffle them wherever they want but they're going to have to figure out how to build that into these contracts with these megastars who want to get
0: Paid. It seems extremely short-sighted on Disney's part, but then uh, is the legal verbiage in there that, like, it's just ironclad. So, who knows?
1: It's the precedent is what matters, not what happens in this one case. I mean, we're, we'll see. Right. It's happening again today. Jungle Cruise today comes out in theaters mm-hmm. and on Disney+. Plus. I'm sure Emily Blunt and... Dwayne, quote, The Rock, unquote, Johnson. I'm sure their compensation is tied to it's gross. All right, let's move on. Okay. Netflix picked up the global rights to the Will Smith movie Fast and Loose. This is going to star Will Smith. The director is David Leitch, the uh, atomic blonde, Deadpool 2. He did that mm-hmm. first John Wick along with Chad Stahelski. we my siblings, John and Eric Hover. These are the guys who brought us The Meg and Battleship. Those are just some of their previous scripts. The setup is... <laughs> Will Smith plays a guy, he's got amnesia, and then he discovers during the movie that before the amnesia, he was living a double life. He was both the head of a international drug cartel and an undercover CIA agent. He was, he was oh. both of these things, bonk on the head or whatever, got amnesia, and now he's got to sort of figure this out. Close the loop on this. What, what, like, what kind of a premise is that? That seems ridiculous to me, right?
0: A little bit.
1: Well, how could if you're the head of the cartel? Like, I could see being a CIA agent and a guy in the cartel. Like, you're trying to get. Some high level guy to flip on the boss, you know, like then you're just doing departed or whatever. Right. But if you're the head of the cartel, what do you You bust yourself? What's the end game here?
0: Maybe he was deep cover for so long that uh, the top guy got knocked off and he's like, oh, I'm the next guy. I go from I go from a capo to a lieutenant to
1: a (laughs) This is the funnier. This is the better premise for the movie is the guy's the undercover CIA agent. He's accidentally continues to rise in the cartel organization. He recognizes that soon he's just going to outrank the people he needs to get to flip. So now it's like a it's like a Brewster's way like he's got to mess up. Like, enough to not get promoted, but not enough to get whacked, you know? Like, he's got to, right. like, stay mid-management in the, in the cartel. Because uh, otherwise, this premise makes no fucking sense. It's like, well, just quit the CIA and run the cartel. Like, why? you don't need the CIA. You're the top guy. What do you need the CIA for anymore?
0: So, uh, w- Will Smith, this, uh, this high-ranking cartel guy, just goes around just making wacky mistakes. Okay. He's like, oops, guys, I got high on my own supply. That's a no-no. <laughs> yeah, right. Like,
1: that's what I think. Like. All right, you know what? Back to back to lieutenant. You're you're bust you down to sergeant in the cartel. <laughs> oh, guys. I'm assuming the cartel works like a police department in an 80s show. Where it's yeah. like, that's it. I'm going to bust you back down to patrolman.
0: Oh, yeah. Remember that suitcase filled with a million dollars I was supposed to give to the guy for the stuff? I left it in a Wendy's. I left a
1: million bucks
0: in a Wendy's. But, right,
1: but you got to be careful because it can't be that bad because then you just get driven out into the desert and they they put two in your skull. Yeah, Yeah, like, it's got to be bad enough to be like, we got to teach this guy a lesson, but not, the the lesson isn't murder. Mm -hmm. You got to thread that needle.
0: When you said uh, Will Smith leads a double life, like um, before you said uh, cartel CIA, I was like married and then goes into the city at night and like works at a glory hole. <laughs> <laughs> it
1: would, obviously, it would not be a glory hole. Move. First of all, I don't know if that's enough of a story to, to for a whole movie. That's a short. Oh, I mean. How much drama is there at the glory hole? It's like we know what happens.
0: How much drama is there at the glory hole? <laughs>
1: Like what we know. Listen, the major questions are already answered. What's coming through the hole? I think we all know what's coming through the hole.
0: Probably a dick.
1: What do you do with it once it gets there? I think we all know what you're doing if it Once it gets yeah, there, yeah, you give it a smooch. Yes. Right. <laughs> so where where is the inherent drama here?
0: I don't know. Maybe his wife finds out, or maybe uh, you know, may, maybe he's, <laughs> he maybe maybe he wants to get out of the glory hole biz. <laughs> and his his boss is like...
1: He's got to do one last glory hole score before he can get out of the glory hole business. Yeah, it's, it's like the most highly
0: rated it's, glory hole in town. That's, yeah. Like, he's got a clientele base.
1: It's your classic, it's like the Saturday Night Fever, you know. It's it's that trope, but glory holes.
0: Yeah, he, yeah. he's trying to get out, but they keep pulling he's him the back He's the king in.
1: of the glory hole scene, but then there's a newcomer, I think. I think yes. maybe you go that way.
0: Yeah, but... Alas, uh, it was a pedestrian CIA cartel story. It's a
1: glory hole workplace comedy. It's a glory story. Sure You know, not many people know this That's what the Bruce Springsteen song Glory Days is about Oh yeah His days working at a glory hole
0: Yeah, and it might sound like baseball But that's all thats <clears throat> all glory hole analogy
1: Hard to believe Courtney Cox agreed to be in that video But here we are
0: I mean, it's because of her last name though she, They asked her oh, to be in the video Oh, too
1: far, now it's too far I'm sorry, Ms. Cox. I didn't. I didn't mean for that to happen.
0: I have one speed. Too far.
1: Uh, let's move on. Collider. You know. You know. Our, it's our friend Jeff Snyder over at Collider. He's the one who broke this. Oh, yeah. uh, this story. You know. You oh, know, good work, Jeff. This is yeah. This is the Snyder cut. He spoke with producer John Davis, who says a new sequel series based on the 1995 film Waterworld. It's in development over at Universal Television. Now, we are told this is a true sequel. It's going to be 20 years after the events of Waterworld. Now, Davis also said some characters from the film will be back in the show. We don't know if that means Costner returning, Gene Triplehorn, perhaps. Tina Majorino as as the girl. Tina Majorino. She was also, she's Deb from Napoleon Dynamite. She oh. was the the girl oh, yes. with the tattoo on her back in Waterworld that led them to dry land. Oh my God! How dare you have?
0: Can I break an exclusive story? Please. I talked to Jim Davis and there's Greater a Garfield. Garfield series. There's a uh-huh. There's a Garfield series coming to Tubi.
1: To <laughs> Tubi? It would not come to Tubi.
0: Nothing comes to Tubi. All right, you saw through my lies.
1: I believe Garfield could at least get to like Peacock. I think Garfield. If Garfield had a new had had some new shit to share, I mean, people love Garfield. Yeah, honestly, I have thought this very thought that it, it's almost surprising mm-hmm. there hasn't been some larger effort to reboot Garfield because internet and meme culture—it's better remembered than almost any other comic strip. Garfield,
0: meme culture, and yeah, especially uh, right—that's what is, I mean. Like, yeah, I exactly. I feel
1: like there is a a general cultural awareness of Garfield in a way that there may be. Isn't for, you know, like Hagar the Horrible, Blondie, uh, 10,000 BC, or whatever that was.
0: Yeah. Uh, but the the best cartoon, obviously, Far Side.
1: And Calvin and Hobbes? if Bill Waters ever agreed to let them do anything with Calvin and Hobbes?
0: Calvin has had a post comic strip life, uh, pissing on things that people don't. That's like. right,
1: urinating on Fords.
0: Urinating on Fords, <laughs> urinating on all, all sorts of shit, or uh,
1: Chevrolets, depending on your how you come down on that. On that, ride. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's died out. That part of American car culture.
0: Yeah, people have replaced those with uh, fucking Punisher stickers or whatever. There
1: are still so many cultural wars in America, but the Ford versus Chevy rivalry. But I don't know. If you're – people in Arkansas are probably listening to this right now like, fuck Chevy. You know, like they they might still be –
0: I don't have a a – a uh, horse in this race or a dog in this fight, but, you know, it chafed my britches a little bit. I didn't wasn't a wow. fan of those uh, Chevy commercials where they'd have everyone walk into the giant warehouse and then they'd open a door and be like, ooh, look at the trucks! And, like, the comm spokesman is there with all the, the um, Chevy fans. Like, I don't know. I just don't care enough.
1: This is the only show about streaming TV where we exclusively talk about television commercials. Yes. I watch streaming shows. I don't see commercials.
0: I watch terrestrial television.
1: Welcome to Bunny Ears, the show for people who still watch exactly. three channels that they can pick up from the airwaves. Listen,
0: I love to flip around the dial. I'm not yeah, going to lie just, long. Yeah, he's, he's
1: got some barbecue tongs stuck into the top of a uh, tube TV from 1977, folks.
0: You're not too far off. He's
1: <laughs> like with duct tape holding it together. Part Again, of it's sticking outside the window to pick up, you know. I'm slightly past that. So we can that, get kcal but... nine. God, that's the only way to get kcal nine.
0: Listen, all I'm going to say is my TV situation in my old apartment was dire at times. This
1: is this <laughs> is sad. Yes,
0: yes. Bring. It's I'm, like, I'm I, the room sorry. I, bring I don't. The room I don't.
1: Down. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know all the ads. Anyway, though, uh, Dan Trachtenberg, okay. he did Ten Cloverfield Lane. Any relation to Michelle? Uh, I don't believe there's any. He's, he's an old YouTube guy. You remember the Totally Rad show in the, the early YouTube days with Alex Albrecht? No?
0: Oh, yeah. I know Alex Albrecht. Sure.
1: Well, so Dan Trachtenberg used to host, uh, co-host that show.
0: Gotcha. He's, 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 he's
1: old school YouTube guy. Anyway, he's currently doing the Predator movie. The one that they're talking about is like the Revenant mm. under the title Skull. That's what we're hearing is this is his next project. He'll be directing the Waterworld series. You're he, gotcha. a Waterworld fan now?
0: Uh, well, I love some Dennis Hopper mm-hmm. and the Smokers. That's some cool shit. And I think Waterworld got uh, so much hate, but it was a. It was an awesome attraction at Universal Studios. The Waterworld still there, stunt still show. exists. Crazy. Did you know
1: that? That's still there. You can wow. still go see the Waterworld Sea War Stunt Spectacular.
0: And then, uh, would you have the the Aquaman knockoff dude with the gills on the boys without water, Kevin Costner? As fishman on Waterworld?
1: Oh, I see what you're saying. The the mariner is how he's referred to in Waterworld. Yes. Yeah,
0: yeah. So Kevin uh, Kevin Kevin Costner doggy paddled so uh, the guy and the boys could swim.
1: What is that guy? I forget what Aqua Aqua Lord's name is on the boys. Aqua Velva. They're gonna be mad at us in the in the you know all of our commenters. Yes, all of our commenters,
0: of yes, of our so commenters that we uh, the
1: angry throngs of nerd the deep. The Deep is what he's
0: called. That's his name? The Deep?
1: Yeah, the superhero character on, you know, the Aquaman in the Seven on the boys. Yes. Yeah, that, that, his, Chase Crawford plays him and his name is The Deep.
0: Uh, I have no regrets over not remembering that because that's not a good name.
1: That's kind of the bit in The Boys, though. Is it's, so, right. it's like almost like a parody, so yes.
0: Listen, I'm an A-Train man.
1: They're all horrible. I mean, that's, you're not supposed to like them. That's kind of, I think season two... I just like that name. I liked season two of The Boys, I think, a little bit better because I think it kind of got it. It threaded that needle better of understanding, like, mm-hmm. they can be funny and outrageous, but we shouldn't like the superheroes more than The Boys. And I feel like in season oh, one, of
0: course not.
1: In season one, I almost feel like the seven are just a lot more interesting, and the boys uh, are, are and Starfire or whatever are, are not not as interesting. And then I think season two, they kind of found their stride, and it works better now. That's my hot take.
0: Oh sure, sure, and uh, yeah, the, the they the seven became like just clearly bad so much like black noir, and like he was a little bit more of a wild card in season and one. I think
1: Stormfront yeah. Aya Cash did such a good job of making her oh yeah charismatic but horrible evil. Yes, um, yes, they're great. I'm a big fan of the show. Let's move on. Jodie Whittaker, the current, she's the 13th Doctor on Doctor Who, Mm. and showrunner Chris Chinball. I would like to just say, for the record, his name is, uh, it's C-H-I-N-B-A-L-L, Chinball. I'm doing him a favor in saying Chinball, but I'm thinking Chinball.
0: Yeah, unlike the kids on the playground, Merciless.
1: Funny last name. Anyway, they're both leaving. There's one more season of Doctor Who that we'll get in 2021. There will also be uh, three feature-length specials throughout 2021, and then... It's
0: hard to say goodbye.
1: And then Jodie Whittaker and Ball are out, and we will get a new... Presumably, we'll get a new 14th Doctor. We'll get mm. a new incarnation of Doctor Who.
0: Okay. Do you have any thoughts on uh, anyone you'd like to see as Hoppin' uh, the TARDIS?
1: I feel like the idea is it should be someone you kind of don't see coming, like... You don't want to just go straight up quirky, goofball, you know? You want it to be somebody who's like, oh, I wouldn't have thought that guy. But now that you say it, like Peter Capaldi to me was a really good choice because you're like, really? He's an odd choice. But you know what? Now that you say it, I can kind of see it.
0: I just watched uh, John Boyega in uh, Small Acts. Sure.
1: Yeah. He's terrific in that.
0: I think he would uh, rep the Brits uh, very well on that show also. He's
1: very young. He'd be a young doctor. He'd be
0: a... V- I mean comparable to Jodie Whittaker. Jodie
1: Whittaker's older than... cuz she also yeah. they were in Attack the Block together. Yes, she was yes. old, you know he was a teenager in that. She's mm-hmm. already a uh, you know a, a woman, an adult woman. So she's got at least 10, 10, 15 years on him. He's
0: an adult man.
1: The Doctor is a very old being, so it doesn't matter what human form, you know, it takes.
0: Well, if it doesn't matter what human form he takes, why are we even discussing this? You
1: could be a young Doctor Who. It's just the doctor. You're not supposed to say Doctor.
0: The Doctor. Yeah. The Listen, title I'm, of the
1: show is Doctor. You're just supposed to say The Doctor. They don't. Yeah, know.
0: I'm not I'm not a Hoovian, so I'm just uh you know I'm look just look at just you kinda... with
1: the lingo Whovian. I didn't know anything about it. We we did a charity thing for honest trailers where we mm-hmm. were like the winning donation gets to pick the honest trailer, and the, the person who won donated a, a tremendous amount to women in film, a great cause. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we had to do the entire run of Doctor Who. Oh, yeah. I had never really watched a lot of I'd seen an episode or two here or there. But so that's why I know Doctor Who is because I had to watch a bunch of it when we were doing The Honest Trail.
0: Gotcha. I mean, speaking of uh, Screen junkie stuff, back in the day, uh, I did an episode where we had some uh, Doctor Who fans on. And I just asked them, what's the deal with Doctor Who? Because I've never seen it. Everyone says, "Watch the Christmas episode. Watch the Christmas episode, and you'll." Yeah.
1: You were like, "Do you guys? Do you guys ever see that commercial with the the monkey baby uh, uh, from Mountain Dew?" Yeah. And they were like, "No,
0: I don't know. I don't know." Like, anything. all I wanted to talk about was ad campaigns, commercials, <laughs> and um, and it's just like- the, the stuff that chafes my You guys remember pritches.
1: Cal Worthington and his dog Spot? Well, I feel like that's a. Uh, California
0: reference that a lot of people wouldn't get, but do you know, I'm a crazy Eddie guy.
1: We had crazy Gideon in Southern California.
0: I got here at like towards the end of crazy Gideon's run. I I saw some of that.
1: I grew up on the East coast where we had crazy Eddie, like in New Jersey Mm -hmm. and Philadelphia. And then I moved and I would see crazy Gideon. And it's like, I got to be honest. I still don't understand how the, how did, did they divide up the country? Was it like a, was it like a mafia thing? Like, Like, I will be the crazy Middle Eastern electronics man in this section of the country. This will be your territory. No crossover. Don't you come and sell cheap VCRs at prices so low that you're insane on my turf. I own the South Side. Like, it's such a specific bit. How were there multiple guys?
0: Two guys who both seemed like they were in the middle of an aneurysm trying to hawk electronics at rock bottom prices.
1: Yeah, they have the same bit, which is my prices are so low, it's like I have some sort of mental disorder. It's not very uh, woke. It's a little ableist. Yeah, a little ableist, a little um,
0: uh, mental illness shaming, uh, sort of playing fast and loose. In addition to being uh, handling mental illness with fast and loose, it was also a lot of fun. <laughs> we just uh, we had fun, folks. We had fun before we got canceled. We had so much fun
1: and like really solid deals on on hi fi stereos.
0: Yes, Crazy Eddie was a lot more aggro. Crazy Gideon was a little bit more buoyant. Crazy Gideon, I think he was Israeli, and he was like,
1: "Come down, yeah. Crazy Gideon. The prices are crazy." Yeah. I believe Crazy Gideon was in fact Israeli.
0: Uh, and Crazy Eddie was like, "Our prices are insane." It was like whoa I'm afraid of him like,
1: I feel like Crazy Eddie may have been a frustrated actor. Like he may have had a performance background. Crazy Gideon eh, it was put. It was just trying his best. He was well, a regular it, guy.
0: Crazy Eddie, if you're out there listening, you should be frustrated no more because that was the role of a
1: lifetime. I feel that like that guy must be dead. I'm not. Probably. I'm not going to look it up now, but I'm almost positive that guy's dead.
0: Hey Siri, is Crazy Eddie dead?
1: <laughs> like what the? I don't know who that is. Uh, Netflix pushed back the Anade de Armas biopic Blonde. This is the one where she plays. Marilyn Monroe Mm -hmm. until next year. Now, this was originally thought maybe it was going to be an award contender this year. It's from writer-director Andrew Dominic, who did The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, a very well-regarded
0: motion picture, based
1: on a book by Joyce Carol Oates, a well-regarded author. Mm. Dominic has said also he's cautioned the film features very little dialogue, so it's going to be a impressionistic view. It's going to be a real snooze. (laughs) (laughs) I <laughs> Caution, the film will be boring. You're not going... He came out and said, my new film, I purposely made it so you won't like it.
0: Aggressively boring.
1: Like, you know, people who think that they're hot shit are going to pretend that they like it, but really nobody is going to be entertained. You're all going to wish you were watching Fast 9.
0: I was thinking about Marilyn Monroe, and it seemed to me that she lived her life like a candle in the wind.
1: (laughs) It does. That that thought just occurred to you.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Also... I like how
1: that's the refrain of that song where he's, like, casually, like, he's like, it seems to me. Yeah. I just... Elton John has a lot of songs like that where I guess Bernie Toppin is right there. So it's like I just thought of this and now I'm jotting it down and now it's a song.
0: He would have liked to have known her but he was just a kid uh, and her candle (laughs) burned out (laughs) long before her legend ever did.
1: A lot of those songs have that like it may seem a bit funny but I'm writing this down. Yeah
0: like I'm talking through the thing until I get to the chorus. Like this isn't a song I'm playing around with the format. But one thing I learned from Elton John's candle in the wind, Marilyn Monroe found in the nude. True.
1: Yes. Yeah. Not a great death. Not a, we don't like to focus on that.
0: Oh, yeah. Died young, just unfortunate. And, you know, she got fucking murked by the CIA, so. Uh,
1: supposedly. We, we don't know. <laughs> I don't want to put that out there like it's fact.
0: She was boffing JFK.
1: That part's, that's fact. That's fact.
0: You know, we can't let that stand.
1: We can't let that stand. Uh,
0: I don't know. And then. Uh, <laughs> And then and then the we'll Russians go back are to like, the oh, J.
1: Edgar Hoover cast. The, the
0: Russians are like, oh, you're going to kill Marilyn. Well, we're going to kill JFK. And then uh, this th- is then, exactly
1: how it happens. Is- yeah, I
0: don't even know who died first, JFK or Marilyn.
1: Welcome to the podcast. Mr. Oliver Stone, folks. Oliver Stone joining us. Mr. Stone, welcome. Big fan. Thank
0: you. Thank you. <laughs>
1: Tell us more about your theories about Marilyn Monroe.
0: First off, I'm going to break this exclusive here. She was found in the nude.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This would be a great documentary now episode where it's like it's supposed to be just like a a profile of Marilyn Monroe. But it's just they keep lingering on the idea that her, her, her corpse was found naked. I mean, like every guest expert just immediately goes back to like, but interesting to note that she was found in the nude.
0: Imagine you're the county coroner and you walk into that bathroom like you figure, oh, it's a dead body. And then it's Marilyn Monroe. And like you get a real eyeful. And it's like, listen, I know she's dead, but
1: uh, uh, wow. She was found in the nude. Even like when it's like the old lady to talk about her childhood, it's like, oh, Oh. Marilyn was born on a farm in Indiana. She was a beautiful child, Norma Jean. She was born naked and wouldn't you know, many years later, also found dead in the nude. And fun fact, murked by the CIA. (laughs) (laughs) So I've heard, so I've heard.
0: (sighs) Uh, anyway, uh, yeah. so
1: that that film now will come out in 2021, probably to great acclaim and fanfare. I can only imagine. Uh, so I'm I'm looking forward to this one. I think it's going to be interesting. This particular Marilyn Monroe biopic, based on this Joyce Carol Oates novel, has been in the works for a very long time. Jessica Chastain at one point was attached. Naomi mm. Watts at one point was attached to play oh Marilyn. Goodness. So this has been a long time coming. That we're finally going to get. Uh, Anna de Armas taking on the
0: role. It's a regular Queen's Gambit. It's been taken so long.
1: Not quite that long. That was a very long time. Uh, one more news story before we, we jump into some reviews. Yeah. Uh, Rick Astley of Never Gonna Give You Up fame. That video, the Never Gonna Give You Up YouTube clip, has mm. hit one billion views as of this week. Very rare company. Not that many videos have actually reached a billion views. Not quite as many as you'd think. The number one all-time video, Baby Shark, does have over 9 billion views. I wow. Say, for point of comparison. Gangnam Style
0: is probably up there. Gangnam
1: Style up there, over a billion. Yes, mm-hmm. over a billion. Never going to give you up. Obviously, great song. People love it just for itself, but yes. it's getting this kind of viewership because of Rick Rolling, yes. which originally came from 4chan fascinatingly enough. Oh. Our source for everything good and bad on the internet always seems to go back to 4chan. Yes. Any guess, Hal, on the year that Rick Rowling debuted on 4chan? Mm. Now, Rick Rowling, of course, when you covertly send your friend a link, you make them think it's a link to something good they're really going to want to see, and then they click it and Oh, you've pranked me with Rick Astley. Never going to give
0: you up. Never going to let yeah, you down. Know. Yeah. Oh, right, right. His copywritten song. Oh, my goodness. What any that? guess?
1: Any guess to the oh, year? Oh, yes.
0: Uh, I'll say 08. Uh,
1: you were very close. It's 2007. 2007 oh, gotcha. was the year that Rick rolling. The 2008 was the year that he was on the, the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, if you will recall. Cartoon Network oh, yeah. had a float, and then they Rick Rolled the crowd and America by bringing Rick Astley out because it was such a huge hit. On the internet, the song dates back to this week. It was originally released July 27th, 1987.
0: July 27th, 1987, number one with a bullet.
1: I was at you before the show. It does Mm -hmm. bother me sometimes when people call Artists' one-hit wonders that actually had multiple hits. Right. And Rick Astley's a good case. People think of him as a one-hit wonder because of this song. Mm-hmm. He actually had a second hit. It was called Together Forever. If you were around in the late 80s, you remember that song. Together forever So, yes, Rick Astley, not a one-hit wonder, a two-hit wonder. So, anyway, that's it. That is it for the
0: news. Congrats to Rick Astley on his uh, continuing relevance. Oh, speaking of music, we're going to talk Woodstock 99, Peace, Love, and Rage. Juan, we both watched this documentary on HBO Max, and I am so glad I did not attend this music festival. Yeah, me too. Holy shit. Woodstock
1: 94... I was a little young. I was still like 16, so mm-hmm. it wouldn't have been in the offing for me to get there. But I really wanted to go. I like, I liked a lot of the bands that were there, and I was jealous of people who got to go. By Woodstock '99, it was not a lineup or an event that appealed to me any longer.
0: Yeah, I did not quite get on board with uh, new metal back then. No, so. I was already
1: like way. Down. I was into like jam bands and classic rock at that point. I would not have been into like a limp biscuit. Ch- I did like Rage Against the Machine.
0: Uh, yeah, Rage Rage was a, a solid band.
1: And live, I've, I saw live in concert that. I 90s saw live band. in concert
0: too. Also, you know, I, uh, despite their uh, their Napster uh, hatred and everything, I was uh, Metallica early Med- uh,
1: Metallica. Sure, I liked, Meta- early I liked Metallica.
0: Metallica is awesome.
1: And in high school, I had been a big fan of the Offspring as well. Not so much oh, by 90 okay. by 99 I was I was over my offspring phase but mm-hmm. but in the like you know in the in the peak of uh I've bad always, habit uh, I've you always know.
0: been I've always been a little resistant to offspring just because I felt like every one of their songs sounds the same
1: well yeah but like if it's like come out and play like it's just this yeah. is catchy yeah
0: so Woodstock 99 this do- uh documentary peace love and rage on HBO max uh it just chronicles the planning and the execution of this festival, which went wrong on so many levels. And then when you thought it could not go further wrong, it went just spiraled ever downward and almost poetically bad. Like where it ends up with the, you know, it's, I'm not spoiling too much, but with the fires at the end of the movie, which you'll see, um, it's like, holy fuck. It's it's craziness.
1: When the film is chronicling how things went wrong and got increasingly worse, I think it's 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 terrific, and it, it's a great sort of historical document about. And there's all obviously there's all this primary footage, and there's some mm-hmm. parts of it that are that are very powerful. There's a part where they're reading uh, excerpts from the diary of a guy who died at the festival. His friend is reading yep. his thoughts as it goes on. I think they get into a little bit of trouble in a few spots. I think that there are a few times where they are trying to make all of these connections between what happened and what went wrong at Woodstock 99 and the larger culture of the 1990s and the late 1990s. And I think sometimes sure they're raising interesting points and I think it makes sense. And I think other times you're like, Eh, I don't know if I really, like, this doesn't feel like a strong connection. This feels kind of like a reach. And you don't need to.
0: Sort of like the tenuous connection of, like, just the aggro mindset of dudes at the time uh, and just, like, the society at large, like, the shaming of Monica Lewinsky and all this stuff. Like, are you talking about that kind of thing?
1: On some level, it obviously makes sense to draw parallels. Like, Kid Rock shouted from the stage about Monica Lewinsky and Bill Clinton.
0: We've subsequently learned that uh, Kid Rock is uh, a piece of shit.
1: (laughs) Right, but I'm saying, so it's that to me was not surprising. Like, Well, you, you've got to engage with that. But I mean, like there's yeah. a segment where they're talking about like Y2K and it's like, oh, ah, listen, yeah. like yeah. that kind of stuff. Like, I, sure, it was in the air. Like, it was happening.
0: That's the zeitgeist of time. But
1: yeah, but like, uh, I don't know. That, yeah,
0: I don't know how much that's connected. And,
1: and then there's there's some stuff, too, where it's just like, like, I got to tell you, I, I was not a Moby fan heading in. Mm hmm. Uh this made me somehow even less he he just seems like completely insufferable
0: a little bit pretentious like
1: pompous windbag like he shows up and right away it's like what are these other bands doing here it's like you're a fucking right. DJ <laughs> it's not like the original Woodstock had a lot of fucking DJs in a tent somewhere there's there's also this whole segment where they're like what an odd mix like you'd get rave kids and then also all of these like metal bands and it's like I remember the 90s there were plenty of kids that were into Metallica and also raves like that wasn't right. they're trying to make it sound like those were two very hostile different camps and it's like Maybe for some people, for a lot of people, you would go back and forth and listen to all sorts of different shit. And sometimes you would do, we, we didn't call it Molly yet. Sometimes you would do ecstasy and yeah. go to like a warehouse somewhere and uh – you know, dance around.
0: Lon, like, you are just living on the fringe. Not me.
1: Then. I never once went to a rave in the
0: 90s, but uh, the cool people. The organizers, the two men that organized this, I think come out as fucking idiots and yeah. villains. Michael in this Lang and John
1: Cher are there. Nicely
0: names. done. Thank you, sir. John
1: Cher, in particular. Yes. I guess in his mind, he thought... I'll do a little bit of acknowledging that things went very bad, but then I will also point to all of these other reasons that are not me. But it just comes off like he's just literally blaming everyone but himself in in ridiculous ways. I mean, the most offensive one is when they bring up, the rampant sexual assaults that were happening, yep. and he's like, "Well, women were walking around half naked, and so you know, what do you think is oh. going to happen?" It's like, "Don't come on, man!" Like are they?
0: classic victim blaming, and he like, literally said, "How many rapes were there?" There wasn't like there were hundreds, and it's like, "Okay, so what numbers?" Okay, sir. But also, what there number? probably
1: were. We just don't know they were. Yeah, he keeps coming back exactly. to, "Well, only there were four reported," but obviously. Uh many more happen. Well, who are you even going to report it to? It was chaos. So, but I mean, at one point he blames, he blames Fred Durst. Mm-hmm. He blames Anthony Kiedis at another point. And, and it's just like, you know, like communists and like, it's just like, after a while, it's like comically ridiculous his refusal to own this failure. Yeah, he
0: comes off as a fool and a villain. And man, it was so gross because like it was there was a lack of water, the heat was intense, and then the pipes burst and there was raw sewage and
1: shit water everywhere. It wasn't there. The pipes. It was that the, the porta potty started. The porta potties. The yeah. There was mud the and the the sanitation plan was not great. That's why I kind of think they're doing so much work to try to connect this to cultural, political, social forces. And Mm -hmm. I'm not denying that those played a role. Right, But a lot of the problem seems to be that this was not a well planned event. They even point out towards the end, Coachella kicked off the same year And was just obviously a much better planned and organized event and managed to avoid having these problems even though it also had an eclectic mix of music and a lot of people right i think that's one of the problems is like yeah the sanitation plan was not there they'd hired a lot of security that they just needed to hire a ton of people quickly so they weren't vetting and they were hiring kids and irresponsible people who just took off their badges as soon as the thing started and did whatever they wanted, and uh, a lot of it seems to come down to it was just horribly planned and went terribly awry on, especially on day three.
0: Yeah, I agree with uh, Lon that uh, much of the just the documenting of just the unfolding of how one thing after another went wrong or went south and was poorly prepared for. Uh, it's chronicled very well, and uh, yeah, it's kind of fascinating.
1: Can I raise one more? weird issue that I had. Yeah. As we've already mentioned, a lot of the movie deals with how the sort of toxic masculinity and misogyny became a problem. A lot of women were getting groped and harassed and assaulted. And, you know, they, they tie it into girls gone wild and that sort of culture at the time. But weirdly, this movie, while talking about all of these things, showing a lot of these topless women and, I had two questions. One is, you could probably have not done... We get it. You don't need to show us all of these women. It it feels in a way, if you're commenting on how this was sort of victimizing them by objectifying them like this, then showing them in the movie... Is kind of re victimizing them in some weird way instead of just using less of that footage or blurring it or whatever. It's also, it just made me curious. Like, they couldn't have gotten releases. Like, how do you even do that?
0: Maybe you sign a release uh, uh, going into the festival. I mean, I know when you go into a concert a lot of the time, they
1: do have those but, signs that are like, this is being filmed and you give up your rights. But I, does that apply if you're naked in a documentary? 20-some years later?
0: You bring up an excellent point there because so many people here, so many women here were, yeah, uh, victimized, assaulted, and are, yeah, are we...
1: Because of the tone of this film being it was wrong to objectify these women, that they would then do the tasteful thing of blurring their nudity out now. Right. There is as much nudity in this film as there would be in a Girls Gone Wild
0: video. Yeah, there are a lot of a uh, lot of topless women in the movie, and that's a great point that you bring up. Are they at odds with the very premise, with the very thing they're indicting in this movie?
1: Felt a little exploity, a little bit, in a movie mm-hmm. that otherwise I thought did a, did a pretty good job of raising some interesting issues. It's like, is this really, is this necessary? Like, I get it, I, mean, I get you, it.
0: Yeah, you want to impart the environment of the festival. Right,
1: you want to express, like, it really was like this.
0: I think you could have told the exact same story.
1: I I mean, there are a few of those shots, and I would have been like, okay, that's what the vibe was. Yeah. Got it, movie. Back to Dave Holmes. We kind of linger on it in a way that did start to feel a little like, well, this movie is just kind of leering at, at these ladies as well. Yeah. I
0: think the light they cast it in, like it didn't feel the movie was trying to sexualize them, but still, it, it was, th- it's the, the, yeah, the footage was there. It's yep, a lie. For sure. No, that's it's a, a great point. Uh, so uh, Woodstock 99, peace, love, and rage. Uh, you, you got your corn, you got your limp biscuits. It
1: re irritated me all again that they're named corn. Imagine making a, all the trouble it takes to learn an instrument, form a band, get good enough to start coming out with albums and sign with a label and do concerts and have fans. And you've named your band corn with a K.
0: I guess you just don't get new metal just on. Just change
1: it. Just change it. After you get famous, be like, you know what? We didn't think we were gonna get famous, and we kind of—it was just a gag. We thought it was funny at the time. We didn't know this was gonna be on shirts, and like everybody, we're we're gonna rename the bit. You know, just come up with something else. I, I can't—I can't deal with this.
0: I guess uh, you are not a freak on a leash, Lon.
1: You guess correctly, sir.
0: Woodstock '99: Peace, Love, and Rage <laughs> available on HBO Max. Check it out. Uh, we also watch some, uh, if not all, of Masters of the Universe. On Netflix?
1: I have finished these first five episodes. I don't know about you, Hal.
0: I have not. I uh, might go back and... Uh,
1: might you? Are you Are you serious? Are you going to? Or are you just saying that?
0: Probably not, because we have to watch so much stuff.
1: And I will say, it, it feels appropriately like for kids. Like, yeah. not necessarily one of those shows that you couldn't watch as an adult, but it does feel geared towards the younger fans.
0: I've come back to this a few times. Uh, Son of Zeus that anime that we watched, right. there's a, yes. a little bit of a similar vibe just as far as the animation blood. style in this Blood show. of Zeus. Blood, blood of, of Zeus. Zeus, yes, yes, yes. Thank you, thank you. Um, like that I watched the shit out of. This
1: this is the same animation company that did Blood of Zeus, also Castlevania. Gotcha.
0: Yeah, definitely has that uh, fingerprint of like similarity. But yeah, this it felt a little bit more kid like. And I know it's like getting a you know it's been a a real uh, hot button topic.
1: Well, a lot of the a lot of grown adult men who should be embarrassed to have strong opinions about this, uh, nonetheless do. And they feel that the marketing and promoting it as a He-Man show that was going Mm -hmm. to prominently feature He-Man that was a continuation of the old He-Man cartoon... Should center He-Man, and the fact that this show centers Teela more and has yeah. her on an adventure to kind of save He-Man, mm-hmm. they, they're they not taking that very well at all.
0: Yeah, sorry folks, the show's not called He-Man, it's Masters, that, of, the I, it's called it's Masters of the Universe, it's a continuing story.
1: Revelation, and in this case, the revelation is, uh, fuck He-Man.
0: Yeah, I guess so. Uh, And this isn't something I'm mad at, but it's just weird to me. The laws of the world that we're in, there's magic, and then there's... Eternia. Yes, Eternia, thank you. (laughs) Like, there's some technology, but then it seems like...
1: You've struck on my absolute favorite thing about this show. That is, in fact... Baked into He-Man. Like, that's always been there. That mm-hmm. Eternia, that's kind of what's interesting about Eternia in terms of as a setting in the classic He-Man is that right. it's this Conan the Barbarian swords-and-sandals fantasy universe, but mm-hmm. they do. They've got, like, flying jet skis and laser guns, and if you remember uh, The Masters of the Universe, the live-action 80s film, it's about Gwildor inventing the cosmic key that can open... Gildor, Oh, the he-matter! We've got to get the cosmic key! Like, that's because it opens a portal between dimensions, and so mm-hmm. I thought it was a cool thing to do that, yes, a lot of the a lot of the world building in the new cartoon is they're kind of struggling because magic is fading out of Eternia is the idea that technology will come along and replace it. I thought that was kind of clever.
0: It's interesting, and it's just the laws of the world are just kind of fluid and weird because it's well, like— Well, yeah, because they—I mean, you People don't carry cell phones, but then they have awesome digital tools, and it's like, oh, people don't have cars. that Like, they ride, like, weird things. I mean, they that,
1: literally were making this mythology— um, You've seen, like, the toys that made us about He-Man. Like, it was just a yeah. bunch of dudes in a room, like, coming, throwing shit at the wall. And, like, when they would come out with the new generation of toys, sometimes they'd change it. And you'd be like, ah, oh, this guy's got four hands now. Like, oh, ah, yeah. fuck it. I don't know.
0: The names of the characters are the most fun things. You know, yeah. Trap Jaw and Manny Faces and uh, yeah. what what's the skunk dude's name? Whatever. Smell of...
1: Moss Man.
0: Shit ass. Yeah, you uh, You know,
1: you know that, that, that they were like should we sell a toy named Shit-Ass to kids? And they're like, ah, fuck those little bastards.
0: Here's the thing. Everyone who's, like, mad at this show needs to chill a little bit. I get I get the bait-and-switch feel because, like, you know what? If you? wanted, you? If, if you wanted He-Man <laughs> and if you wanted, like, just the homoeroticism of Prince Adam turning into He-Man and everything, that's, you know, I, I understand that. But, like, there's still fun, weird stuff. You're still in, immersed in this world. I don't like, know.
1: To me, it's like if you're an adult, yes, and you're watching a show like Masters of the Universe Revelation, right? And you are like, I can't get into this because I can't fully enjoy the power fantasy if I don't feel like I directly relate to the person with the power. Like I can't get into mm-hmm. this because Teela is a girl, and so I can't get off on the power fantasy of being Teela. I needed to be He-Man. Like if that's your process uh go see a doctor like you're <laughs> like that's not you're not using TV right as an adult. It's not supposed to be that anymore like that's what children do when they watch shows It's like a power fantasy but like you can get more stuff out of a show. As an adult, it doesn't all have to just be, ooh, what if I had a sword and I could kill a bunch of bad guys? Yes. Like, like get better. Like, learn how to enjoy things.
0: Yes, and, and, and take this lesson because that's how so many people who have not been represented in well in the media uh, have viewed, but they still would watch stuff. You know?
1: I'm not saying you can't ever have any. Just like I like animation, I like the art style, or like I like to put a cartoon on. Like I'm not saying that. I'm not trying to shame anybody. Like whatever you like. I'm just saying like the inability to enjoy this because you need to be fe- you need to feel like He Man is your personal avatar is like yeah. no, that's not the right way to watch this. Just enjoy it, like. I, like, I admire the craftsmanship of putting it together and the voice acting and, you know, the music and...
0: I wouldn't mind a little more Skeletor, though.
1: I sort of agree. If I was in the writer's room on this and they were like, you know, in episode one, we're going to kind of sideline He-Man and Skeletor and focus on some of these other characters, I'd be like, okay, but you at least want to be able to, like, check in with them like Mm -hmm. i think it's the removing them entirely i don't think it's a spoiler to say i don't believe they're gone forever i think it's a we're going to at some point in this adventure and that's i don't know anything i'm just guessing
0: but teela's character after the first episode we we, uh, come back to her and she's a little more laura croft
1: sure i mean she's a mercenary and adventurer and uh, yeah you know they've, they've teamed her with a with a partner who's voiced by uh, our old our old schmo buddy Tiffany Smith. Yes
0: Tiffany Smith and uh, teaming up with Sarah Michelle Geller and uh, yeah it's got a great voice cast.
1: Up. I thought the art style looks pretty good there, you know, there are times you could tell that like the animation lacks a little bit of depth where it'll just be like a little repetitive or a little simple but but the designs are cool. it's very big bold and colorful and lots of cool voice actors and I enjoyed it. And there's kind of a
0: fun thing to follow. This world is exploring like... Oh, magic versus technology, and I don't know. There was just one scene that that like really stuck with me, where this uh, they were having this underground cabal of technology worshippers, and they were trying to indoctrinate this one guy, and he was drinking this potion that was like it was like a cup filled with liquid ones and zeros. Yeah,
1: Uh, did you recognize the voice of Triclops in that scene? By the way,
0: no. Who was it?
1: That's uh, Henry Rollins. What? Oh That's my God! Henry Black Rollins Black as Triclops,
0: punk rock
1: icon. Punk rock Henry icon Rolls. Henry Rollins. That was nice. him as Triclops in that. Uh, yeah, like everybody, like literally every voice. Like Cringer is Stephen Root. Uh, oh, cool. Man at Arms is Liam Cunningham from Game of Thrones. Eva Lynn is Lena he- Lena Hetty, uh Cersei. Oh, cool. So e- literally everybody pick a character. Even making the Orco sounds is uh is Griffin Newman from the tick. Oh,
0: very nice. Yeah, love me some little floating, that floating little weirdo orco. Orko. Yeah. It's geared a little more towards kids.
1: As it should be, because it's fucking He-Man, folks. Like yeah. it's like on some level. We do have to come to terms with, like, He-Man's going to be geared towards kids. You could be nostalgic for it. I'm not saying you're not allowed to watch it. It should be as part of a balanced diet with real stuff for adults, but, you know. It's a new
0: take on an old fave. You've
1: got to come meet the He-Man show halfway.
0: From the wacky brain of Kevin Smith.
1: I thought he did a nice job. I got to be honest. I'm not always the guy that's going to be on Kevin Smith's side on all of these projects, but... In this one,
0: you'll often oppose him in a schmodown.
1: Very nice guy in person, but I don't always mm-hmm. think all of his films and TV shows are the best. But in this case, I thought this was how to reboot him. man. This made total sense to me.
0: Yeah, I liked it just fine. I thought it was a, a fun take. I do hope we get, at least, I love Skeletor. I love Skeletor as just a wacky, weird villain. So, and Mark um, Hamill
1: doing the voice. You yes. hope we get a little bit more of Skeletor. I'm sure we will. I'm sure we will, folks. Fret not.
0: Masters of the Universe, Revelations, visit Castle Grayskull on Netflix. Lon, there's a brand new movie to HBO Max. Freaky- Dropped on HBO Max, starring Vince yes. Vaughn and uh, Catherine Newton. Catherine Newton, yes. Oh,
1: my look friend. it up to be a hundred percent sure.
0: My friend Catherine Newton is
1: she your friend?
0: Well, I interviewed her for uh, Detective Pikachu.
1: Detective Pikachu, Big Little Lies, Blockers, three billboards mm-hmm. outside that fucking town. You know. Yes.
0: Yes. So. I thought this was a fine take on the body switch movie. There is a lot of convoluted stuff. Oh, well, I liked Vince Vaughn playing his body taken over by Catherine Newton. I thought he did a fun job. That was probably my favorite thing in the movie. One of my least favorite things about the movie, though, was the killer. So Vince Vaughn is a, is a slasher, a uh, like a, a movie slasher killer, Jason-esque.
1: That's the bit. Is It's a body switch movie, but the teenage girl switches bodies with a serial killer, but like a crazy Jason Voorhees. I think this is one of the biggest problems with the movie, is that it can't really Really decide what kind of serial killer he is or what his problem is or his deal is. Yep. And so it doesn't really make a lot of sense
0: because at times he seems like kind of the, the mindless zombie slowly chasing, but
1: then he's like scheming and making plans.
0: And then he's like a little bit snarky and like, he's throwing It these looks like for it real as all. if
1: it's also, they're doing the Shazam problem where he's playing one kind of teenage girl. And then Catherine Newton in her scenes is playing a very different kind of teenage girl with a totally different personality. Their performances don't match. Like, I agree with you. Vince Vaughn is playing, he's doing a good job of playing a prototypical teenage girl. Mm -hmm. It just happens to not be the same character that Catherine Newton is playing in her scenes. I think she's doing a more realistic take and he's playing, like, the hot chick. Like, he's sort of doing the Rob Schneider take.
0: Right. Yeah, she was, uh, th- th- like, m- more of a misfit.
1: She's playing it, like, you know, like a, a real person. Like, she's giving a real performance. And mm-hmm. he's doing, like, oh, my God, my BFFs. What's up, girlfriend, queen? You know, like, he's doing stereotypes. And he's doing a good job of it. Like, he's doing it better than me. But, like, mm-hmm. I still felt like, well, they should have done a better job of, like, copying one another's actual you know what i just rewatched that does a, a surprisingly good job of this is those jumanji movies where oh, okay the the yeah. actors coming in they're not just playing stereotype like young jock or like hot girl like they really lined up their performances with the young actors in the opening and it it's seamless like it plays really well I did not think it worked very well here.
0: That makes a lot of sense. But yeah, just, but the thing that bugged me was they could have made the killer feel that much more distinct, that much more motivated by something specific. It's just a kind of a scatterbrain take on a serial slasher.
1: Every slasher movie, the killer's got their motivation, their gimmick, the thing they love, or the reason that they're doing this. And this movie, like, it seems like that would be the first thing you'd come up with when you come up with this premise. And this mm-hmm. one, like they almost don't even bother. He's just like eh, crazy, lives in weird warehouse thing. Like it does. Like they didn't really put thought into who Vince Vaughn is at all. Yeah. So it sort of doesn't play. Uh, I also thought the dialogue sucks. Like you never believe the teens are real teens. It very much feels like a dude. In his thirties or forties, writing what he thinks teens sound like, with every dumb slang phrase, and or if it, it just it feels like the script was written in one tab with Urban Dictionary up in the other.
0: I didn't quite hate it as much as you. I thought there were some good scenes.
1: I got one more. As long as we're talking about stuff. Well, that we I hated. was
0: like, there was something that uh, I just felt like the. So there's a, a magical dagger that uh, causes the body switch to happen, and just the lore behind the dagger, I did not feel was well imparted to it's us. Not at
1: all. It's also it's the same bit as uh, vice versa. Vice versa mm-hmm. body switch is also an ancient artifact that both parties have to touch. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought vice versa does a better job. My biggest, and this is my biggest overall yeah. note. Okay. It's just not funny. Like. It, it's not scary, and I think that's okay. Like, the best movies like this, like Your Screams, they're both. It's mm-hmm. funny sometimes, and when it needs to be scary, like Scream is scary. Like the end of Scream, when Ghostface is, is loose at the party, like there yep. are some really effective jump scares because Wes Craven was like kind of a master at tone, and he could oh, like yeah. turn on the comedy and then turn on the scary in equal measure, almost like Sam Raimi's got that sort of ability, and they can work in both of those worlds. Sure. And I think that. Christopher Landon, who did Happy Death Day and its sequel, and now did this, I don't quite think he's there. And that Mm -hmm. would be okay. I wouldn't mind if it's not scary, if at least it was funny. But it feels obvious. Like, once you get what the plot is, you can imagine what all the jokes are. Like, I don't think it once comes up with a clever way to, like, upend our expectations of what would happen if a teenage girl and a serial killer switch bodies. Right. It's just boring. Like, the comic setups are just thudding and obvious and, like, like there's one whole long sequence where Vince Vaughn is this teenage girl, but she's stuck in Vince Vaughn's body, and she's hiding in a it's a, it's a really elaborate coincidence to get her there, but she's hiding in a dressing room at the department store where her mother works. Mm-hmm. And so her mother is outside the dressing room. She's inside, can't see. She sounds like a man. She sounds like a stranger. She's Vince Vaughn. And, but she and her mom connect anyway and have this kind of heart-to-heart. And it's like, we've taken such fucking pains to get to this moment so these characters could share this moment, and there's not one fucking joke. The whole scene is just played straight. And, like, what are you doing? What the uh, fuck are you doing?
0: Scene between a mom and a daughter. Uh, Vince
1: Vaughn in a ratty shirt as a serial murderer. It's like, Jesus Christ. So I got to fucking draw you a picture of jokes. This is where jokes go.
0: Yeah, here, here's the thing. Like, if you've already watched all the Fear Street movies on Netflix and, like, you just want to scratch that kind of light horror itch. I didn't mind it I think Vince Vaughn is redeemable also I think there are a few fun scenes like uh, Catherine Newton's character was about to be assaulted by three frat guys but she's in Vince like Vince Vaughn is in her body and he fucking murders these uh, shitheads I thought that was a fun scene but
1: again you could see that coming a mile away of course that's what's gonna happen but it was
0: satisfying it was satisfying so know. like it, it definitely up- has moments to
1: my expectations
0: listen was it underwhelming? Sure But life's underwhelming You heard it here first
1: <laughs> I will agree This movie was less underwhelming than my life I will agree with you there I will agree with you there You've got a good point
0: I didn't hate it as much as Lon uh, I, I,
1: It feels like a waste Because it's a good funny idea
0: It is I thought it was watchable I went in with low expectations And uh, it didn't fly in below my low expectations
1: <laughs> what a, There you what go a, what, a so
0: what, a, what a ringing endorsement Freaky, you could freak out to Freaky on HBO Max. And speaking of HBO Max, before we go on, I just wanted to mention that uh, I am now a real devotee. We were uh, on a, like, I was uh, a little resistant to it, but the White Lotus on HBO. Oh, um, you've come man. around.
1: You've come oh, around time, to my way of thinking. Big time.
0: The, uh, um, the, the third episode was just like was it, one. Was it Jennifer
1: Coolidge on the oh, boat? Oh, Jennifer was Coolidge's
0: that? monologue on the boat and just all her um, histrionics and Ev- like everything, it real the stories. Like if you waited, if you were like you know the slow burn. Oh man, everything is kicking into gear. Really enjoyable. And how about uh, this? I, I
1: didn't even. I I only remembered this at the end of the episode. We haven't even seen Molly Shannon yet. She's not even there yet. She's on yep. her way.
0: True story so um the great Molly Shannon who
1: doesn't want to see more Molly Shannon she's
0: great in everything We're doing that thing that
1: will Ferrell does as a joke on I said I was like hello nurse Molly Shannon we'd have to use her entire name every time
0: <laughs> I mean with all due respect to uh, the delightful Molly Shannon drama comedy put it in her hands have, uh, whatever he, whatever he, you he, need he she's on it. Uh, White Lotus Lawn, uh, I've caught up to yeah. uh, where, yeah, yeah. where you Good look.
1: show. I'm, in, I'm enjoying it very much. Curious to see where it goes
0: for sure that's uh our show thank you for listening everybody uh shout out to everyone in owl nation hoot hoot where michael hooligan's at thank you to starburns audio travis reeves thank you for cutting out our coughs and being our super producer jason k thank you for the sweet licks leading into the show lon if you want to tell them where they can find you
1: sure it's uh find me on twitter at l o n s is the best place to do it uh, you can also check out the Inside Streaming newsletter that I publish five days a week, Monday through Friday. It is totally free. You can go to Inside.com slash streaming for that. I'm Also, I'm going to be on another podcast this week. It's called Flyover State of Fear. I'll be talking about the film Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the 1978. You ever see that one with Donald Sutherland and oh, yeah. uh, Jeff Goldblum's in that one? Leonard Nimoy also shows up. Oh, Nimoy's in that?
0: Nimoy's in that, yeah. That's awesome. Thank you, Lon. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Hal Rudnick, H-A-L-R-U-D-N-I-C-K. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Bitch boys, Beach boys, bitch boys. Beach boys. Beach boys, Beach boys.
1: Yeah